to another episode of Mormon Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful for the chance to be with you today. Today I want to talk about this idea that runs through Mormonism. And, and what we ought to do, probably, is turn some time over to Wilford Woodruff. President Woodruff, if you wouldn't mind, would you please introduce us to the topic we're going to discuss today, our Mormon Discussion. The Lord will never permit me or any other man who stands as president of this church to lead you astray. It is not in the program. It is not in the mind of God. If I were to attempt that, the Lord would remove me out of my place. And so he will any other man who attempts to lead the children of men astray from the oracles of God and from their duty. So Wilford Woodruff introduces us to this idea that the prophet of the church will not, he cannot, lead the church astray. And I think in our culture we've taken that idea to mean a ton of various things. And today we want to talk about what it means and what it doesn't mean. And let's start off with kind of telling you or maybe sharing with you my thoughts on what we think as an orthodox Latter-day Saint um, what they, how they put these ideas together. And so when, an, when you ask an Orthodox Latter-day Saint, what does it mean that the prophet will not lead the church astray? You'll get comments like, the prophet cannot teach false doctrine. The prophet cannot uh, take the church off of the path of God, right? And the trouble is, is that our history points to a very, a much uh, different idea of what it means to lead the church astray. In other words, like we can write down all the ways in which we define that that phrase in our theology, but the reality is our history tells us that lots of those have to come off the table and we have to take them out. And so today we want to talk about that. This idea begins from Wilfred Woodruff because of the end of uh, polygamy. Polygamy is a crucial practice to the Latter-day Saints and to their salvation. The government is putting pressure on the church to do something in terms of ending this practice. Wilford Woodruff is scared to death in telling the saints that this thing that was so central to their theology and identity as a people is now going to be done away with that he frames the change 
in the uh, concept of revelation and is so worried that people are going to disregard his new approach to polygamy that out of fear he is giving the saints the teaching that there's no way, guys, there's no way I could lead you astray. I am the prophet of the church. The Lord will not permit me as the prophet to lead you astray. Somewhere in those comments is the idea that he is worried that a chunk of the Latter-day Saints are going to disregard this shift on polygamy because it is so central to their theology and their identity. And I would simply recommend that one go listen to Lindsay Hansen Park's Year of Polygamy podcast to better understand this early history in our church. When you understand the history, again, it's messy and it's complicated. So I don't think it's a simple thing of saying like, the prophet can't lead the church history. He can't teach false doctrine, right? He can't, he can't uh, take the church off the path. He can't teach doctrine, false doctrines that are contrary to God's will and that, that hurt people. And today we want to show that that's simply just not, not what the history tells us. So the, the first example would be Brigham Young's Adam God uh, teaching. And once we realize that uh, Brigham Young claims that he gets this doctrine from Heavenly Father, from Revelation, and he teaches it, that Adam is Heavenly Father and that Elohim is Heavenly Grandfather. And that once we understand this idea, Brigham Young also then says that the members of the church, have, as they've heard me teach this principle, the members of the church have also said they know by the Spirit of God that these things are true. That, that, that God is Adam and that Elohim is Heavenly Grandfather. So once you realize like the prophet can believe he got revelation and actually teach false doctrine about the nature of God. Well, how do we know it's false doctrine? Well, that's because one, Spencer W. Kimball has disavowed this teaching. And he did so in a general conference, I believe, in the, the late 70s. But we also have a private letter from Elder Bruce R. McConkie to uh, Professor uh, Eugene England. And, uh, and Professor Eugene England is saying some things. He's kind of a progressive Mormon. He really is the face of progressive Mormonism. When somebody says, like, where did progressive Mormonism really start? One of the, one of the main characters in our history is Eugene England. And Elder McConkie writes him to correct him, to, to tell him things like, your job is to reiterate what I say or to remain silent. And one of the tangents that Elder McConkie goes off in, in his letter is on the Adam God teachings. And you have to recognize that Elder McConkie is somewhat struggling trying to figure out how to make sense of Brigham Young having taught the Adam-God doctrine, which the church in McConkie's day has disavowed and distanced itself from. So you have McConkie trying to, like, how do I, how do I deal with what Brigham Young said? And so here's what Elder McConkie is telling Eugene England through a private letter 
in his effort to correct Eugene's thinking and speaking um, in in different directions on the church. And, and this is just a specific part. You can go find the letter online and read the whole thing. But he says, I do not know all the providences of the Lord, but I do know that he permits false doctrine to be taught in and out of the church, and that such teaching is part of the sifting process of mortality. I repeat, Brigham Young erred in some of his statements on the nature and kind of being that God is, and as to the position of Adam in the plan of salvation. Think about that. What Elder McConkie is saying is that Brigham Young as a prophet, because we have Brigham Young on the public record saying, I knew this thing to be true, this Adam-God teaching to be true by revelation. So McConkie's saying, look, you have a prophet who's gotten information, he believes he's gotten information from God, and that he's actually teaching false doctrine. And on top of that, we have quotes on the public record from Brigham Young who points to a lot of the saints around him also know by revelation that this teaching is true. And again, these members of the church, good members of the church, living spiritual lives, they've received, they think, received an answer from God that the prophet is teaching true doctrine of the things he's received from God only to have both of those not be true. Let me repeat it. I do know that he permits false doctrine to be taught in and out of the church and that such teaching is part of the sifting process of mortality. I repeat, Brigham Young erred in some of his statements on the nature and kind of being that God is and as to the position of Adam in the plan of salvation. Keep in mind, Bruce R. McConkie is also the same person who tells you that Knowing the true character of God is essential for salvation. There was a prophet called to preach the word, tried to cry repentance, but nobody heard. They were busy sinning, no one preached in vain. They wished they had listened when they saw the rain. Follow the prophet, follow the prophet. Think about this for a moment. If a prophet can believe he got information from God only and teach it, and it be important stuff about the very nature of God himself, and he gets it wrong, and members of the church can hear this teaching and know by the power of the Holy Ghost that that teaching is true and be wrong... What does that say about the trust we have, should have, could have, in spiritual answers? And and so we ought to at least say, like, if the prophet cannot lead the church astray, let's go to the table, let's find the plate that says he cannot teach false doctrine, and let's take it off the table. Let's also say that there's a plate there that says he cannot teach false doctrine thinking, believing, it was... From God himself. Let's take that plate off the table. There's another plate 
that a prophet could teach false doctrine believing he had gotten it from God and it be about crucial doctrines such as the nature of God. And let's take that off the table. By the way, Elder McConkie said, salvation hinges on us knowing the true nature of God. And yet Elder McConkie also acknowledges that Brigham Young himself distorted through false doctrine, even though he thought he got it from God, the very nature of God. Keep the eyes of the mission on the leaders of the church. We will not and cannot lead you astray. Abraham the prophet prayed to have a son, so the Lord sent Isaac as a chosen one. Isaac begat Jacob, known as Israel. Jacob's sons were twelve tribes, so the Bible tells. Follow the prophet, follow the prophet, follow the prophet, don't go astray. Follow the prophet, follow the prophet, follow the prophet, he knows the way. Elder Ballard, in that, in that uh, quote, he's making two impositions. He's saying that they can, they, they will not and cannot lead the church astray. Will not shows intent. That the prophets will not, and also cannot, shows like maybe even um, in this idea of unknowingly lead the church astray. So we've already taken off the idea of a prophet teaching false doctrine, even about the very nature of God. The The second example would be the race and priesthood. Right, you have Brigham Young implementing the race ban, the the priesthood and temple ban on those of color. And as we go through church history, every prophet after him holds up that ban, and many of these prophets have statements on the record, publicly and privately, saying that the this doctrine of of uh, those of color being cursed being less valiant in the premortal life, that such teachings are not just teachings, they are doctrine. And this doctrine that these leaders taught, like they say, like, like this is based on revelation. They've imposed that in their statements. This is based on revelation. We have the uh, 1949 First Presidency Letter, where the church says... August 17th, 1949, the attitude of the church with reference to Negroes remains as as it has always stood. It is not a matter of declaration of policy, but of direct commandment from the Lord on which is founded the doctrine of the church from the days of its organization. And then goes on to um, talk about the limitations that those of color have within the church. And so we ought to recognize, like as much as we want to say in 2017 that these are disavowed theories, we need to grant the space to say in the 1940s and all the way back to Brigham Young, these men 
thought it was commandment of the Lord and based on revelation and solidly situated within our doctrine that these limitations were of God. And membership of the church also believed this. Like, this was one of the pillars of what made us a peculiar people. And we were going to hold this ground because God has told us to. And it's the world that has uh, succumbed to the pressure of the adversary. That's the way in which we would have framed these issues. So all the plates we've already taken off, the next plate that now needs to come off the table is a plate that says the prophets can... So if we say, like, how, what does it mean to not lead the church astray? Well, one of those plates cannot be that a prophet can teach false doctrine that he, that they believe comes from God, is situated within revelation, they believe, that the membership believes, and that deeply hurts and marginalizes God's children and go one step further, impacts the salvation of God's children. Again, these are saving ordinances of the temple. And our prophets are saying that it is God's mind and will that we ban these brothers and sisters from going to the temple, from receiving priesthood for men and for men and women, from receiving the saving ordinances of the temple. So that is, it does not mean, when we say the Lord cannot, will not allow his prophet to lead the church astray. That does not mean that the prophet will teach false doctrine in the name of the Lord that that hurts in some way the salvation of his children and marginalizes and hurts another human being. That's off the table. So that's not what it means. So we still have to figure out what does it mean to lead the church astray. In 1994, uh, President Hinckley was involved with uh, some some criticism behind the scenes uh, from a, a Mormon feminist, uh, Janice Allred. And so there's a newspaper article that still exists from the Deseret News, 1994, President Gordon B. Hinckley. President Hinckley was quoted in the Deseret News uh, it says here in the article, it says the LDS church will never be without a prophet and that prophet will never lead the church astray. A member of the first presidency told a regional conference this week, Gordon B. Hinckley, first counselor in the first presidency of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on Sunday responded to a paper presented at the Sunstone symposium, which by the way, um, I'll be at by the time you listen to this is probably already over but uh, presenting on uh, Joseph's treasure digging. A paper presented the Sunstone Symposium in Salt Lake City two weeks ago. In the paper, Mormon feminist housewife Janice Allred said statements by 
President Hinckley that God never would allow the church to be led astray do not have a scriptural basis. She can present her paper. Now, this is President Hinckley. Quote, she can present her paper until doomsday. Unquote. President Hinckley said at a tri-stake regional conference at church-owned Ricks College. And here's President Hinckley again. Quote, but God will see to it that the church will not be led astray. Unquote. In her paper, Allred said, quote, the scriptures do not give any unconditional promises that the church will never fail, although there are some conditional ones. The condition of the promises is obedience to God, not obedience to leaders. People who have been taught to accept anything their leaders say without seeking spiritual confirmation are, quote, easy to deceive, unquote, Allred said. So you have President Hinckley jumping in. But he makes the point, he reaffirms the idea that the church will not be led astray. But again, what does that mean? What does it mean that the church will not be led astray? And in some ways we're left having removed these, these plates off the table that we as a, as a people have framed this idea forever. And so what does it mean? And, and I'm left to wonder, uh, if what it means is that the prophet can never intentionally sabotage the church into being astray. But that accidental deviations from the plan, God's will, true doctrine, ideas that affect salvation or hurt and deeply marginalize others, none of that matters. These guys can screw up till the cows come home and it doesn't matter because our history already says they have. So it must be intentional. That's the only idea I'm left with is that if a prophet intentionally tries to lead the church astray, then he will be removed from his office. Samuel was a prophet chosen as a Let's begin to wrap up. Once we recognize that prophets can teach false doctrine, prophets have taught false doctrine, that prophets can believe said false doctrine came from God, that said false doctrine can deeply hurt and marginalize people, that the membership of the church can still believe that false doctrine by the power of the Holy Ghost, they think, emphasizing to them that this said teaching is true. Once we recognize that, once we grasp that, we run into a theological conundrum of a question. 
Like, think about this. Think about this question. If past prophets taught hurtful, marginalizing, false doctrine that affected one's access to saving ordinances and distorted the nature of God in the past, and those prophets and the members of that day knew by the power of the Holy Ghost that those prophets were teaching true doctrine when they weren't, how can we have any confidence in what we believe is the Holy Ghost testifying of current beliefs to us today? If the Holy Ghost is ineffective for a prophet to discern God's will from false doctrine, and the Holy Ghost is ineffective in helping the membership of the church to discern if said prophet has attained God's will, then what? Then what? If the Holy Ghost is an ineffective way to know truth from error within Mormonism, then what? If prophets can teach false doctrine and members can believe false doctrine and and all of them think it was by the Holy Ghost, then how can we ever have trust or confidence in prophets, in their ability to discern God's will, or in membership's ability to discern whether that prophet actually did discern God's will? Then what? Then what? And again, people can take this as criticism. It is a question to be honored. Remember, questions are honored. However appropriate for a democracy, there's no warrant for this concept in the government of God's kingdom, where questions are honored, but opposition is not. Today I want to end this way. I want to be crystal clear. Like, there are really deeply problematic theological and historical issues with Mormonism. I'm begging for a way to go forward and have faith in the restoration. And I try as hard as I can to lead with that faith. But my issue is the question I have posed. How can I trust and have confidence in the Holy Ghost, in prophets, and in the ability I have and they have to discern God's will? I need this question answered. And when we try to grasp at what does it mean that a prophet cannot lead the church astray, once we understand our history and we understand the depths of the question I have just framed, then somebody is going to have to spend some time addressing this piece of our theology and honor my question and answer it. It's my hope that Mormonism can be vulnerable. I've said it over and over. In this question, Mormonism absolutely hinges on the answer to this question. And people have taken a stab at it. Michael Ash from Fair Mormon, who I, again, I love the man. I think he's a great human being. And, and I appreciate, he's one of the few apologists who will jump in and actually attempt to have a dialogue. And so I want to say thank you, Michael. Thank you. But Michael says, look, you're right. 
it, the prophets get it wrong, members get it wrong, this is super messy, but there's still things that we can have more confidence in than other things, but other people's things that they have confidence in will be different than my list of things I have confidence in, but we just have to grasp this is really messy, we're all trying to figure it out, the restoration is slight improvements over time, and little by little we fix it, but yes, you're right, Bill, uh, these guys got it wrong, and they couldn't discern the mind and will of God, and the membership got it wrong, and they couldn't discern and, the, and understand the mind and will of God. So yeah, we're probably doing some of the same things today, but over the next thousand, two thousand years, we're going to make this better. We're going to get improve it because God's light, little by little, works with uh, His leaders and edges them as a totality towards light and truth. And I'm still saying, when that's all said and done, Michael. There's still no way to have trust in the here and now in any one particular thing or even as the whole being where it should be because I can't trust my answers of whether it is or isn't. I can't trust them telling me they got their answers whether it is or isn't. This becomes a complete mess. And so today, today, I'm asking for someone in the top 15. I'm asking someone in the top 15 to address this issue and to help me understand how I can have confidence in prophets, in my ability to discern, and specifically with both of them, how to know whether something is the Holy Ghost or not. May the Lord warm your shoulders. God bless each of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Now we have a world.